Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. So, Sean. Yes. It's been a good morning. It's been a fun week. And we're here for another podcast episode. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? You know, I, I can't complain, but I did see that this week, oh, the crypto market. Oh, <laughs> it's been hurt. How do you feel? <laughs> um, I feel like I'm ready to uh, be frugal for a little while. <laughs> but uh, oh, my gosh, it, it's been hurt so hard. Um. Anyways, continue on. Sorry. <laughs> that, no, that's, I was just... I, that's the only comment I have. <laughs> yeah, the crypto market has been slammed. I mean, the the thing about the cryptocurrency space is there's no no one's coming to save it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's mm-hmm. no uh there, you know, it's not like the the Federal Reserve and the people at the White House are gonna look and say, oh no. The crypto market is crashing. We need to go in and fix it. Nope. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, good reasons. They're honestly probably pretty stoked because a lot of the uh, a lot of the things that have been happening is basically people doing scams and people not having uh, enough collateral to back up their activities, mm-hmm. just getting vaporized. <laughs> so- it, it, you know, th- and that's what happens when you invest on leverage and by leverage meaning borrowing money to put into investments and you know if things go south you don't have the money to pay it back and so um yeah it's crazy i mean i think this was the same type of concept that happened back when the internet was first exploding as well where there's a lot of scam websites there's a lot of people opening up internet companies and you know due to the new technology you know regulations on internet company hasn't been fully fleshed out during its inception and a lot of that just went bonkers uh, to put it mildly right mm-hmm. so i mean I, I if i recall yahoo at one point was trading at like seven thousand times its price per earnings i mean <laughs> it was like outrageous or something like that i, I one of the websites was trading uh, right at the inception and and so going back to the whole crypto thing i think that's could be fairly similar in behavior not necessarily similar in concept but maybe similar in behavior where people are just like piling in on crypto uh without understanding its true true value and so but yeah that's just my my little thoughts on what's happening with the crypto market today and so yeah anyways so what is the episode we have today for everyone sean well um i was wondering we were we were talking about uh the retail space and about Mm -hmm. companies like walmart and target and Mm -hmm. so uh you decided you were going to uh take a look at target as yes um now the first question I ask is what, uh, where do you start and how do you see the process of like doing the initial examination of, of a company from an investing standpoint? Oh my gosh, that is a hard, well, that's not a hard question, but that is probably one of the most important questions uh, that I've come to really appreciate is how do, how do we begin looking for companies in general, right? Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it's very different for, for, for any investor. It, it's completely different because it really depends on your background of the company, uh, your personal habits, uh, your lifestyle, et cetera. And so just to look into a company, for me, it makes the most sense to look into a company if I had some personal experience with it so for target this was an easier experience or easier company to understand because i shop at target every so often i shop at walmart i shop at all these retail space so i have a background understanding 
of what this is, this company is overall. And I see a lot of uh, my colleagues where they will invest in a biotech company, for instance, but they will have no idea what the company does. Like they'll, they'll just purchase it because it's a very good price to earnings ratio or it's a very good uh, concept in, in, in the scientific world. But they, they've never really experienced its fundamental product or you know service, so to speak. So that's where I would begin. And that's how I usually look for companies is, uh, you know, I look at stuff that I'm purchasing right now, services that I'm using right now, and then I go from there. And so everyone's, again, everyone's backgrounds are going to be a little different. Uh, some of you might not shop at Target. You might shop at Kroger's. You might shop at Costco more so uh, or Aldi. And so if you have a better understanding of what Aldi is, which is a European version of like Target, Costco, Walmart type of thing, then that's probably where... Uh, you're going to have the best advantage among other investors. And so it's always trying to find the best advantage, your best advantage in the space that you are competent in. So your circle of competence, as Warren Buffett and Charlie Bunker would say. So uh, that's a long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) But I think I answered it. So you started digging into uh, Target. Yes. What, what would make Target uh, sort of unique among retailers? Do they have any sort of different niche that they're going for? <laughs> you're jumping, really. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're nailing the questions on the head. Uh, uh, this is, you're, you're asking, do they have a competitive advantage in essence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so going back to the first question, I, I probably should expand a little bit further on just the process of me looking into the company before I answer this question. So I will go onto their website or I'll go onto Yahoo Finance or Google Finance or MSN Money, whatever website that can give me a short summary of the overall company, right? And so not only building from background experience, but now going into their actual definition and description. If I can understand that, then I'm going to go proceed a little bit further. So on Yahoo Finance, they're going to give a a general description. And let me see if I can pull it up here. So if I just read the general description, and I will get get to your competitive advantage question really, really soon, but I just want to share it with everyone right here. If I just go to Yahoo Finance, type in the ticket symbol TGT, which is Target's ticket symbol, Uh, I can scroll down on the right-hand side and it will tell me a short description of Target. So Target Corporation operates as a general merchandise retailer in the United States. The company offers food assortment, including perishable, dry grocery, dairy, frozen items, apparel, accessories, and so on. And so that I can understand. They're a store that holds general good items. Now, uh, if I understand that, then I can delve a little bit deeper. So the going to your second question, which is what is Target's main competitive advantage? And this is something that I try to look for with any company that I research in. It's honestly, it, it, it's a very gray area. Um, I cannot say that Target has a super defined competitive advantage or moat, for instance, that will make it stand out uniquely among other retailers such as you know Bed Bath Beyond, uh, Walmart, Costco, etc., Amazon. But what I would say is that they're really trying to build on their branding. So very similar to what Starbucks did way back when, which is Starbucks is a branding uh, company. Yes, it's coffee, but there's a lot of company coffee companies out there. But Starbucks was able to build a name for itself and its integrity. And so I can see, especially with the new CEO at Helm, I mean, he's been CEO for the last, you know, seven years now. But with the new CEO at the Helm, he's really focused on building the brand of Target up. And they even wrote in their annual report that the Target branding, the Target logo, the Target name is all patent, patented, the patent. How do you say that? <laughs> it's uh, all it's on a patent. So that means that they're really, really pushing for it. In terms of its actual differences in products, you can say its actual product target brand uh, would be unique 
compared to the rest of the retailer, but it's not something that I can say that it's above and beyond where I have to shop here for my new clothing or I have to shop here for my, you know, deodorant that I use every day. Um, it, it's not a huge competitive advantage. Uh, if you put it in terms of its actual only product service wise, it's a little better. I would say just from my own personal experience, the service is a little better than going to Walmart or going to uh, Bed Bath Beyond and something like that. But it, it's not to the point where it's out of the ordinary where I wouldn't shop at Walmart or at Bed Bath Beyond or any other retailer. So it's a gray area, hmm. in my opinion. And this is just strictly my opinion. Everyone else is going to have a different one, a different thing. But this is my opinion. So. Yeah. Yeah. In my cursory look at Target, I got a similar impression that essentially they're, you know, competing with someone like Walmart and they are pretty directly competing. Like there's not a huge yeah. um, distinction. Now, I did see that they they made a little bit of the, a name for themselves in terms of what they call cheap chic in terms of like especially with the clothing and the fashion mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. um and i do a few times in my life i have heard women say that they uh planned to go shopping for clothing at target specifically yes because they like the clothing so i think that's one thing where they may have had some success in differentiations actually having a unique mm-hmm. clothing mm-hmm. but by and large it's just like walmart pretty much it's like yes it's a store with all the different kinds of stuff you got your appliances your clothing your food you know Um, well i i could i could probably say this in a target itself yes it has everyday items just like walmart does walmart has everyday items but their main focus in target at least from my understanding is that it's for the general everyday items so this 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 is essentially a store for everyday people where you know things that you use daily you know toilet paper paper towels kitchen appliances uh, clothing target will be the go to walmart in my opinion is a little bit more specialized because they have a broader range of selection so you can mm. go into hunting you can go into camping you can go into um other resource gardening for instance right and so uh, i would say that walmart yes it's it's a more of a general goods store where you can have some sort of area where it's very specific it's a it's a very you know special area uh, at walmart which makes it unique to target but targets mainly focus on the everyday person like the general person and like you did say uh a lot of uh people especially uh moms uh, at least from my experience moms will generally shop at target because they do love the clothing there and the fashion there is going to have a better look a better fit from my own personal experience it does have a better fit than that of walmart for instance so walmart is a very generic uh type of brand um and so target's main uh income or main revenue source is in their apparel line so apparel as well as cosmetic. So at least that's what the numbers are saying. Hmm. That's very, that's interesting. I had never thought of that distinction between Walmart and Target about the yeah. everyday things. Yeah. And, and, you know, we see a lot of moms as well as fathers go to Target because it, it's right there. It's not as crowded too. I mean, when you go to Walmart, generally it's fairly crowded mm-hmm. and Target, it's not as crowded. So, which is good, especially if you want to bring your kids in, you don't want them to get lost in the store. And the staffing is usually around where you can actually ask them questions. And so the services, at least on the floor level, is a little bit better from my experience shopping at Target versus Walmart. Walmart is generally more chaotic. It's still a good store, but personal experience in, in the area that I'm in it, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic and I don't necessarily like to shop at Walmart because it's a little bit more chaotic, and, but that's my personal preference. So interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, did anything else jump out at you as you were doing your initial research? Well, my initial research, whenever I do an initial research, is I, I go through a, a series of process. Okay. Uh, so first, first thing is, does the company make sense? Can I understand what the company is doing? And if that makes sense, then I'll go on to my next thing. And so I, I, I kind of get the company, right? I, I do understand how it's making its revenue. I do understand uh, overall what it's trying to become. I get it. Now, the next thing is understanding the leadership of the company. And this one is where I had a little bit more trouble. Uh, I'm not saying that the leadership is bad or anything. Okay, I, I haven't seen anything that really was a big red flag like we did with the Nicola uh, podcast episode where, you know, I read the letter to the shareholder and I saw something that looked very like alarming, which is the plagiarism component mm -hmm. uh, with the annual reports, at least with Target reading the last 10, 15 years of letters to the shareholder. Uh, I went through two different CEOs. All right. So the first CEO uh, that was in control of Target or was at the helm of Target back in like 2006, 2007, 2008, before the transition of the new CEO in 2015, uh, was by a man named Greg Steinhoffel. I think that's how you pronounce that German last name. I think it's German Steinhoffel. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Greg, <laughs> Mr. Greg. Uh, but he was uh, replaced by Brian Cornell, which is the current CEO and chairman of Target. And so I'm reading the last seven years of the financial reports, of the annual reports, of the letter, and nothing really stands out. And that can be of a concern um, because if nothing really distinguishes him from every other annual report that I've read, then I find that it's more of a safe letter than an actual personable letter. And let, let me describe what I mean. So a lot of times when we are reading annual reports, at least the annual reports that I have read, I, I've, I've been able to categorize them in about three or four different categories. Okay. Either the one of the categories is I don't want to read this anymore because it's, it's bad uh, which is not the case for Target. I have another category where it is, um, what do you call it? Okay. It, it sounds great. It, it's very flushed out. It, it's very uh, good sounding. So it's like a marketing type. And then there is another category where it's really personal. I understand the CEO and I understand what they're trying to do. And they're really like telling me, hey, this is what's going on with the company, the good and the bad. And so th those are my main three categories. Now, there will be subcategories, but I'm not going to get into that. But the target annual report, I would say, is more of a marketing report. On the, on the side of a little bit more personable, but it's mainly all marketing for me. I'm reading it. There's a lot of jargon that goes on. There, there's a lot of um, ideas, a lot of plans. And Brian... Cornell, Mr. Cornell does give us the goals for the year and does share with us how, you know, the progress they've made towards those goals. Okay. Which is great. I like it. And, but he does touch on a little bit of the negative side back in, I think his letter in 2017, 2018, he did say that there was some slight setbacks with the revenue uh, just due to lower expectations or, you know, lower results from their expectations. And so he does communicate slightly on that, but he doesn't go super detail why this is and how they're going to fix it, which I wish that he did. I really wish he went a little bit further into his actual plan rather than beating around the bush kind of thing. So it's not a bad annual report, but it doesn't really tell me much more than what a marketing person would tell me, uh, so to speak. And mm -hmm. so that would be a thing that stands out. It's not an end all be all by any means. Like this is something like, okay, well, you're okay with communicating. And like I said, if I'm ever going to give money to a company, I treat the company as if there were another individual. Would I give this individual my 
money to invest in. One of the big things is I need to know if I can trust them and if they can communicate with me, uh, the good and the bad, because I want to know what 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 effed up the company <laughs> uh, this year and how are we going to fix it? And so because he was very short on that, I, I'm leaning towards neutrality. Like I'm very neutral towards the company itself. Uh, again, this is just my personal experience. I, I'm not. I haven't invested in Target. I have no holdings with Target right now. So uh, I was a holder before and I've sold it. And so this is just me coming back to Target, seeing what I would do. And with his recent letter, it, it, I'm still on the fence about it. So at least for my personal preference, I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. Um, other than that, anything that really stands out is ye, there was something that did stand out, which I found really interesting, was that the insiders, and this is what we, I believe, call in the stock world, the insiders are the people in the company that are in the top lead, the top management uh, type people, CEO, CFO, COOs uh, type of deal. A lot of the insiders in the last several months have been selling a lot of their shares, uh, stock, stock holdings uh, of the company. And if you look at the percentage overall in terms of shares that was purchased, the insiders only hold 0.22%, at least according to Yahoo Finance. So you have a leadership out of all of the whole shares outstanding or the shares total, say that there's 100,000 shares, right? Only 0.22% mm-hmm. of those shares are held by the insiders, by the top management. So what's what's 100,000? What's 0.22% of 100,000? That's like 220 shares, right? Out of 100,000 is held by the top executives. Wow. That that doesn't bode well. I mean, if no. if I want to invest into a company... I want to make sure that the leadership of the company is also believes in their own product. I don't want them to, you know, 0.22% for me is, is fairly low. Um, I would mm-hmm. be much happier if they said around maybe 5% or even 10%. Yeah. That, that's, so that, that, that figure for other companies. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But 0.22%, that's less than 1%. That means a lot of the insiders either a don't believe in their product that they're selling or B, what they're doing is that because the valuation of the company is overly expensive, they're selling it to make a profit, which is, you know, with any investor, anybody would do that. So to be able to distinguish between option one or option two, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. But at face value, if only 0.22% of your insiders are holding your stock and the stock has been declining recently and the last five months in Q1 and into Q2, where you're filing a form four to the SEC and most of your insiders are still disposing their stocks or their acquisition of the stocks because, you know, stock compensation and whatnot. That to me is, is somewhat of a red flag, just in my personal opinion. Yeah. Now I, I have seen maybe two to four weeks ago, I saw in the news that actually across the entire stock market mm-hmm. insider selling mm-hmm. had increased dramatically. Yep. Um, yep. I think just because of what has been happening in the markets, what has been happening mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, interest rates. And I also remember recently in the news that mm-hmm. both Walmart and target had essentially uh, over extended their inventory and yes that they were they i believe they might have either booked uh they had had like a low revenue or they had uh charted that they would have future low revenue i can't which of the remember which of those two it was mm. well in regards to the over over inventory um this was an abrupt shock for both Walmart and Target. The reason being is because they were under the assumption that consumer behavior would continue as it did 
in the prior quarters because we've seen a lot of people doing a lot more shopping at Walmart, Target because of the pandemic. And now with the fear of inflation and with the fear of a recession coming in, they were not expecting a quick change in consumer behavior. So it, it was really quick where they just saw, you know, uh, shopping, at least, you know, uh, revenue sales drastically go down. And so they purchased all this inventory in anticipation that the consumer behavior would slow down or continue at the same pace. Yep. Right. And so with the dramatic decrease in consumption, now there's an over inventory and they, I have listened to or read the conference call of target in Q1. And that was a huge concern with a lot of the analysts that were questioning the management team. It's like, Hey, what are you going to do? And so a lot of the answers, at least for the management perspective, you know, from Brian and his team, a lot of it was pretty much trying to soften the effect of over inventory. At least that's what I took it as. And pretty much their answer was, oh, yeah, we did do a lot of over inventory in Q1, but, you know, it's still in the first quarter. We still got three more quarters to go. We're just going to adjust our spending behavior so that it balances out by the end of the year. That's essentially what their answer was, which, yes, it makes sense in the short amount of time that you have to adapt to this change, being able to maneuver quickly that's going to you know keep the company alive right uh, if there's a huge and this is the thing that we see in biology and i'm going to bring in a little bit of science right now but this is the thing that we do see in a lot of ecosystems where if the temperature changes fluctuates very quickly for an organism to stay alive they must be able to adapt quickly or at least have the plasticity or the, the characteristics to be able to survive if they can't change in time, or they can't adapt to China in time. So uh, that's what his team is trying to do. In essence, he's trying to pretty much readjust spending, readjust inventory, and pan out for the next several months. And they did say that you know most of their revenue is given during the seasonal changes. So back to school season, back to college, holiday seasons, etc. And so we might see more inventory um, being purchased towards Q3, Q4, but in terms of Q1 inventory, they're trying to disperse it among Q2, Q3. So that is at least their plan. But with that over inventory, um, they're also seeing a huge increase in shipment uh, expenses uh, just because of the war in Ukraine, the uh, gas prices, a lot of the expenses has skyrocketed for shipments in general. And they, I believe they said it was roughly going to be a $1.1 billion expense increase just for shipment containers transporting goods to and from uh, the manufacturers to the target itself. So it's huge. It, it's a big hit in revenue. And, and hence why we did see a 30-ish percent drop from its high in January till now. I mean, Target's Target's been cratering uh, quite quite heavily. So, yeah. Do you think? Um, well, I mean, this is kind of speculation, but mm-hmm. um, I don't see Target going under. I mean, we could we could get to that in a minute with competition, but I think. Um, do you think it could be the case that Target is becoming a good buy? Because of this, I think essentially what's going on now is probably something that they're going to work through, right? So yes, if you were to, if it's cheap now, if you were to buy and hold for a while, do you think this could be something someone might want to either, you know, I mean, it could go down more, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, I, I don't think the entire stock market is done going down, but mm-hmm. do you think this might look like an attractive buy to some investors? In my personal opinion, I don't know. Um, it really depends on how you calculate the value of target. Um, for everyone's going to be different. Everybody has a different factor multiplier 
risk tolerance mm-hmm. as well as what they value uh, in, in analyzing a company. And I probably should mention that before I invest in a company, when I look at a stock, I look at it as a whole entire business. So every time I purchase a stock, it's like me purchasing a building of that mm-hmm. business. And so I, I do take it more so as an actual owner where if the company was to sell me all of their assets, just the whole company itself, if they were to sell it to me, will I take out my money and purchase it? And right now the market cap, and I'm just going to throw it out there, the market cap of the company, at least based on Yahoo and the stock price, at least currently is roughly $60 billion. Um, I believe that's the market cap. Yeah, $60 billion. So mm-hmm. will I, if I had $60 billion, will I take my money out now and purchase it in general? And there's going to be a lot of factors that goes along with that. One you're going to have to look at is, is your sales growing, right? Is the revenue increasing quarter after quarter, year after year? Because if the sale isn't increasing, that means consumer behavior is leaving your area. And that's not a good sign for any business if, if customers are leaving, right? And so, um, so if you were to calculate the growth of revenue year after year, or the top of the line for, for those of you who are in accounting, if you're look at the, looking at the top of the line, what we can see, at least on a compound interest rate back all the way from 2011 till now, you're going to have roughly around a 3% compound interest rate. Now, going back to other past uh, podcasts that we've talked in, we did talk about this where investors are looking or at least if you are in the process of investing, uh, you're always going to be comparing it to, to a, a control, right? You're going to be comparing it to either a government-issued bond. You're going to be comparing it to your savings account. You're going to be comparing it to the S&P 500, et cetera. And so the question is, is 3% compounded annually per year in revenue since 2011 all the way to 2021, at least the, that's the uh, values that they wrote in their annual report, is that compounded uh, interest growth or compounded growth rate, is that something that you want to put your money in or is there a better investment outside? And if you're only strictly looking at the top of the line, which is 2.964% per year, right now, what is this government-issued bond? I think government-issued bond for a five-year bond is above 3% now, at least at the time of this recording. So... Would I put my money into Target, which is giving me roughly 2.96% per year in revenue growth, or would I look at a government-issued bond? And again, this is just basing on revenue growth. Now, you can look at earnings per share. You can look at free cash flow, et cetera. And yes, you want to have a good cash flow in the company itself. So that's something that you would also have to look at. But let's be super conservative here and just look at if I'm the owner of the company and my company is only growing at 3% per year, is this a good investment in my money? Assuming that that revenue, and if I don't increase any expenses after that, that increase in revenue, I, I can pocket that. And at least at this point, just based on the two values of the government issue bond versus now, it's looking like the government issue bond is a little bit more attractive percentage wise, right? Now we don't know the potential. And this is assuming that there is no additional potential in target as in branding spike, you know, uh, other variables. We're just looking at strict numbers right now. So for me, at least based on numbers, the bond might be more attractive. And it really depends on the investor in general. Now, we're adding a lot of the intangible factors like branding, uh, uh, potential plans, goals, et cetera. Then that number is going to change. And it really depends on what you value the intangible versus the tangible. So let's talk about the competition. Um, I, When I think of Target's competition, I think mainly of Amazon and Walmart. Yes. Um, and they are competing both in the brick and mortar realm and in the online realm. Yes. Um, I, I, I mean, 
I'd if I was Target, I'd be very concerned about Amazon in particular. But uh, did you find anything uh, relating to that competition? In terms of Amazon, the ability to be able to and this is the benefit of a brick and mortar, and this is why Amazon is going more towards brick and mortar now. Uh, at least when they're purchasing of you know Whole Foods and Amazon Fresh, etc., they're starting to open up more brick and mortar places. And the benefit of a brick and mortar places, at least if we're transitioning from online to uh, retail, is that the customer or the consumer can see and hold and touch and feel the product before purchasing it and then having to return. And that's what a lot, at least in in my own personal experience, this is what I do quite often is that, you know, I'm purchasing a lot of items on Amazon, but sometimes it, it what's being marketed on Amazon doesn't really work as intended. And so I would generally find myself having to go back to like a UPS or Kohl's to return. With a brick and mortar, I can look at it and see if it fits my home. Right, I, I can I can feel whether or not this is going to be a good product to have. I, I, at least I have something to make the decision whether or not I want to purchase or not purchase a specific item. And I'm not sure what the return rate on Amazon is. At least I I, I haven't looked deeply into Amazon, but I would assume that the return rate is increasing dramatically. Because every time I go return items that I purchase from Amazon, there's usually a huge line that I'm waiting in roughly between 10 to 20 minutes to return my my packages. And so I'm seeing that a lot more people are returning now, uh, at least uh, returning their products. So going back to Target, the benefit of Target is that they have their own brick and mortar. So people can go in, shop around try on clothes, for instance, and, and see if they like it. So that, that's one of the benefits. Now, what Target's doing specifically to distinguish themselves from Amazon, at least in the online environment, is that they have same-day pickup and delivery. At least that's what they're marketing. Whereas if you order on the Target app, which I've done a couple times already, you can either pick it up the same day or it can be shipped to you through, I think they're using Shipped, shipped s-h-i-p-t as a a uh, third-party shipping delivery service mm-hmm. they will get it to your house within the same day amazon has a one-day delivery right so the, it will get shipped and delivered to your house the next day so what target's trying to do is shorten that time frame even faster and to a lot of clients into uh, sorry a lot of guests because that's what they call their customers a lot of guests they sometimes you, you're in an emergency and you need it right away and so the convenience of having it within the next hour or two shipped straight to your home or you can go pick it up is really really nice and i think that's what target's aiming for in terms of service and uniqueness in shipping now, once Amazon starts opening up their warehouses everywhere around the United States and it's in close proximity, you might be able to get it same-day delivery. I mean, some products are already same-day delivery for, for certain things, but it's not everything that you need, right? Uh, for Target, whatever you shop at Target, it's pretty much there in the brick and mortar. They just have to travel to your house and, and deliver it. So that's what I see in terms of Target's uniqueness. In terms of Walmart, I'm not sure how their shipping uh, behavior is at Walmart. I've never really done any shipping uh, orders or any pickup delivery at Walmart. So I, I, I'm not too confident in, in uh, or not too knowing uh, in their services. But with Target, I know a little bit more. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure yeah, if I answered your question though. Sorry. <laughs> no, you did. I okay. think um, I think Walmart and Target's uh, advantage is their brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon, a lot of you know, probably ninety percent of the area that Amazon covers, they're going to be shipping from one of their distribution centers. Yes. Um, Amazon has been. You know, they bought Whole Foods and they've been expanding their 
footprint, mm-hmm. but I think it would take a long time for them to rival the footprint of Target or Walmart. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how quickly can Target and Walmart learn to leverage that to give people a better experience? And I think the the same day shipping is a pretty pretty good idea. It, it, it's a fantastic idea. And to build on top of the Whole Foods argument, a lot of people can't shop at Whole Foods. Um, mm-hmm. Just my opinion. I can't shop at Whole Foods. I, I, I think that their food, yes, albeit is somewhat tasty, um, but their pricing is is way out of my, my price range. I mean, I'm not comfortable spending, you know, $6 a pound on a chicken when the comp- competitors, at least elsewhere, is selling it for $2 a pound, $3 a pound, $4 a pound even. I mean, it, it, again, I'm, I'm hypothetically saying I don't know what the actual pricing at Whole Foods is right now. Uh, at least the last time I saw it, it was, it was quite hefty. I, ha- I don't shop at Whole Foods, so I, I'm not really sure. But I just remember being at Whole Foods that a, a lot of their products, produce, um, was on the upper end of the spectrum, at least the price spectrum. Now, if you research more into the idea of organics and, you know, antibiotic, non-antibiotic, hormone, whatever, which I'm not going to get into, a lot of it has to do with marketing. Uh, It's not truly organic or truly antibiotic-free or hormone-free. And so I'm already at a biased standpoint with that. Um, just because I've researched into the industry itself, because, you know, that's something that I understand a little bit more so, at least in the antibiotic realm. And so a lot of it is is marketing. And so is it truly, you know, as healthy as they say? I don't know. Uh, Again, I'm not there to see it grow or anything, but it's just my skepticism uh, towards the industry, the food industry in general. And so... The question is, is the quality any better or any different from what you would find in a Kroger's, what you will find in a Stater Brothers, in Albertsons, in Target even? If you look at the branding, it, they're pretty much the same. Uh, they come from the same source, same plantation, same factory, same everything. And so price advantage-wise, I think Target and Walmart will be uh, Whole Foods at least. It, Whole Foods is generally there for the um, health conscious uh, shoppers, uh, but if you if you don't really care too much about that, then I think uh, Target and Walmart ha- has Amazon beat. Now, did you find? So I work in, uh, you know, I've worked in in computers mm-hmm. and you know trying to protect companies' data, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the first things that I thought of from you know in terms of assessing target was they're pretty famous for having had a big data breach. Oh, um, this was back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw anything about this, but essentially someone um, hackers were able to compromise their point of sale systems mm. and they were able to collect uh, essentially credit card information mm-hmm. Um they were not able to get pin numbers, but they were able to get card numbers, mm-hmm. expiration dates, and uh, the security codes and the customer name. Um, and it was a pretty big. It was a pretty big thing in the, in Target's history. Um, it mm-hmm. looks like that. So uh, you mentioned their previous CEO, Greg Steinhoffel, mm-hmm. um, and he. Uh, resigned on in 2014. Correct. So that was um, that was about six months after the data breach. So it it mm-hmm. does look like essentially he uh, he you know was driven out because of the uh, the data breach. Now I don't know if you came across any information about that, but did you did you find anything interesting related I- to that? I actually did not. I'm just going to be honest with you, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me that that was the reason why he resigned. I mean, with any leader uh, in a company, if anything massive like that was to happen, 
uh, the leader has to take full responsibility. It doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. a CEO and you had no clue on it and you already delegated that to your, you know, the chief uh, operations officer. It, it doesn't matter. You're the executive officer and anything that happens under your reign is going to be pointed back at you. And, and so for him, that huge data breach, whether it's his fault or not, for not you know paying more attention in the IT department, whatever, it's gonna it, it hits him, uh, and investors will be like, well, under your leadership, you know, this happened. So either you step down, or we're gonna throw a fit. And, and investors have that power because you know they have voting power, and and it could be that I, again. I don't know too much. I didn't go into that far back of the history, and the reason why. I didn't delve too heavily into that is because with any weaknesses that is found in any company, for a company to survive, it has to be able to fix that point of weakness, right? You had to reinforce that area so that it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it was unfortunate that it did happen in Target's history, but there hasn't been a data breach in the last 10 years since it uh, in, in the last eight years since it's happened since the the event that means that they buckled down quite heavily put more money at least this is speculative wise I, I haven't looked at the numbers you know i haven't followed the the money where the money went during the you know three years after the event happened but they most likely they put down a lot more resources in their uh it department and to reinforce that weakness area and really strengthen the security, at least the digital security, online security of their corporation. And with that, now their eyes are open to any data breaches, right? Which is a good sign. I mean, we want at least if a company did have a bad day like that, I if I was to invest in a company, I would want to make sure that that company did everything it can to not have that happen again. That shows signs of growth, shows signs of improvement, but it does, it also makes the leadership more aware uh, of their vulnerabilities. And so since since there hasn't been a huge event like that happening in the last seven, eight years, I would say that they've been doing a pretty good job, at least uh, on the data breach side, managing that. Uh, defending against that so that's why i haven't really delved further into that issue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i remember thinking it doesn't um you know it seems to have been handled pretty well and Mm -hmm. i think when i look back on you know the way a lot of companies had their security back then compared to now i mean there's been a whole bunch of famous data breaches between that mm-hmm. time and now. And I think a lot of companies were just um, didn't understand the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And so target was definitely not the only one there. And mm-hmm. I think uh, they were one of the ones that, that basically scared the rest of the industry into getting their act together as far as cybersecurity. Yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, if well, if you saw your competitor down the street getting data breach and millions and millions are stolen from you, from them, uh, you're gonna buckle down because you don't want it to happen to you, right? So, yep. it's like, oh, I'm I'm changing my locks. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying better locks now. <laughs> Sucks to be you, Target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it wouldn't surprise me. So, yep, yep, yep. Now, um probably my last question but um is there anything more that you found regarding the leadership i kind of spend a little bit of time looking at the ceo Mm -hmm. um but did you is there anything that you haven't mentioned about the uh leadership that you found during your research again the amount of research i've done uh i don't know if i said this at the beginning of the podcast but I pretty much took it as a way to research into a company given that I only had like a day, day and a half to look into it. Okay. Um, 
So for me to go more, it would take a lot longer, um, maybe a week uh, to really delve into it. But at least on the surface level, from what I was able to find about Target and leadership in general, um, besides the insiders, how they're not really um, holding a lot of their shares, uh, so to speak, I can extrapolate just from their conference call, which I did read into. And I, I, I was reading the earliest or the recent recent conference call. So this was, I believe, back in April 2022 when they had their Q1 conference call. And you have the management, you know, or the leadership there answering the questions from the analysts. Um, they're very, at least what I can pick up, they're very team-oriented. Which is a good thing. That means they, they have good amounts of synergy between the two, uh, between uh, the individuals. So they're very team oriented. They're, they're building on top of each other's uh, background, on top of each other's answers, um, as well as when answering the question, they're not beating around the bush as heavily as other companies do. Uh, they're mainly getting straight to the point. Yes, they're repeating points, uh, such as the you know the tightening of the uh, or the over uh, spending of inventory and the uh, expenses raising uh, in transportation um, and the effects of geopolitics on their company. They're constantly repeating that, but in in general, it looks like they are trying to have investors focus on their core values and they're constantly repeating their core values which is uh have the best guest experience um focus on team focus on uh, taking care of their employees on the surface level right and so they're they're really promoting that that they they're raising their minimum wage up to 15 dollars an hour now uh they are even during times of pandemic they're taking care of their employees they're they're really you know giving them uh more attention than maybe their competitors who knows um and so on paper it looks really good now with that being said on the leadership leadership end I always have a skeptical side. I, I said, yes, it sounds great on paper, but is 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 this truly the image, right? Is this really what's going on? And so with me, I like to hear either word by mouth or through uh, different forums, the actual experience of the employees. And so I did a little bit of research on Reddit. Reddit is the place that I go to just to see because a lot of times uh, a lot of redditors are going to be anonymous, right? They have uh, you know a online name. They're not using their full name, and so uh, they're able to tell their experience more truthfully than if they were doing it on Glassdoor or on uh, LinkedIn or whatever. And so at least the front of the line. And we're talking about the ground employees, the newly hired, the seasonal employee and everything. A lot of the comments says that it depends on the actual leadership per store, which doesn't help. Okay. Uh, and it goes the same for Walmart. I also looked into the Walmart's Reddits as well on, on their opinion and experience and whether or not the employees would switch jobs to Target or switch jobs to Walmart. And there's a lot of mixed reviews, a lot of mixed reviews. But the general idea, at least for Target, is that with Target, there's more individuality uh, on average in the general stores, uh, which means that the leadership or the management of the store itself will get to know who you are uh, as an employee. However, with that being said, even though the minimum wage was raised to $15 an hour, it doesn't mean that you're going to get 25 hours, right? So you could have been working at, what, $12 an hour prior and got like 27 hours a week. 
Now that the minimum wage is going up to $15 an hour, yes, they ra raised everyone's wages up, but hourly, they're assigning people less hours to make up for that. So on paper, yes, it looks great. Hey, we're giving minimum wage $15 an hour, but hourly-wise, net-wise, at the end of the week, they're either paying the still paying the same amount of income or less because they don't want to surpass you know, the general budget. At least that's what's going on on the Reddit forums. Walmart, on the other hand, you have no individuality. You're pretty much there. You're working there. They, the management doesn't really care who you are. However, to move up the ladder, to move up the ranks, it's a little bit easier to go up and get promoted. At Target, you're, you're working there, and that's pretty much it. It, it, it. You don't really have a chance to move up. And so on the front end, when management is saying that they care about their team, they care about the uh, you know, well-being and all of that, it, it, it sounds great. And you also have to take a biased stance on Reddit because some people might just be angry at, uh, at, at the corporation and be spouting out nonsense. So again, you, you have to read a lot of the comments just to have a general feel and better yet, go to the actual store and, and talk to the employees there or talk to someone who works in those to get the best understanding of how they treat their frontline employees. But from the average reading on Glassdoor, Reddit, and other types of uh, review forums, that's pretty much the overall feel is that working at Target, yes, it's good. You get treated well, but it's really hard to move up and you don't get your hours consistent. Working at Walmart, you have your hours consistent. You have a higher chance, not, 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 a, not a guarantee chance, but a higher chance of moving up, but they don't care who you are. And so it's a give and take. And working at Walmart is generally going to be more chaotic than working at Target. So I like to take things with a grain of salt. When I'm reading what leadership is saying, I always have to find the other end of it. And in my research, a lot of it is marketing. And that's just the name of the game for most of the companies uh, that you would research into a lot of it's just marketing and so and that that's what's really hard when you're investing uh, for value is that how can you distinguish or it, the issue is distinguishing the marketing companies from the actual the value of the company itself so mm -hmm. yep all right was there anything else anything interesting that we missed or anything like that uh, other than that, I, I don't know. Uh, I, this is as much research as I was able to do within a day time frame. Um, and I'm hoping it was informative for you, Sean, and, and to our mm -hmm. listeners here, um, yeah. because this, you know, it, 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 it's a lot. And one thing, actually, I should, I should mention this as well, uh, especially if, you know, you're an investor and wanting to look into, uh, just numbers in general, the earnings per share, which is how much profit you make per share of stock, was very fluctuative in the last decade. Which means uh, if you look back in 2011, the earnings per share, like if you purchase a share of stock, the earnings per share is around $4.31 back in 2011. Now it's around $8.72 in 2021, or at least last year's earnings per share. But if you look at the year after year earnings per share, it's extremely fluctuated, extremely fluctuated. Some years you have a, a growth in earnings per share, other years you have a decline. And so it's extremely fluctuated. And if you were to measure the actual growth rate of the EPS, you're going to get a really high number, roughly around 7% a year. In comparison to the revenue, which is roughly around 3% per year, this is huge. Uh, this is a big divergence in, in, in correlation. And so the idea is it, it could mean multiple things. It could mean that, you know, the company is repurchasing its stock, which ultimately raises the earnings per share. Um, it could be that um, inflation happened and we're getting inflated numbers or whatever other factors affects EPS. I just thought that that was a very interesting idea. 
uh, in terms of repurchasing shares, in the last three years, at least on Yahoo Finance, we saw a decline in share repurchases. Or sorry, I would say increase in share repurchases. I think this last last year they went into about a million repurchases of of outstanding shares, which is a good sign. I mean, it's a double edged sword. When you when a company repurchases share, you would ultimately want a company to repurchase their share when the stock is extremely cheap, because that is the best efficient use of their outstanding or net cash flow, right? Uh, if you repurchase it when it's really cheap, uh, cheap, then the current shareholders are going to have a better return and they're going to be much happier. But when you purchase repurchase shares at a, a more expensive price, that's a very inefficient use uh, of companies' money. And I'd much rather see that uh, be used elsewhere to develop technology or develop uh, the online platform to become more user-friendly, et cetera. And so that was interesting to me, as well as their dividend payment. And they've had 51 consecutive years or 51. Uh, they've, they've had a really good run with their dividend payment. Uh, and it's constantly been increasing year after year. Hmm. That's a good and bad sign. Okay, It's a good sign for an investor who likes a stable, consistent dividend payment. That's a good sign. But it's a bad sign in terms of ownership because if somehow the company is struggling and they're still increasing that dividend payment, albeit your free cash flow, you're able to pay it. But if you are struggling and you have a downward struggle, a very long-term struggle, I'd much rather you not pay me back in the short term and fix the company than to constantly raise the dividend and have us go into debt. They're raising it because they have the excess cash flow. But a part of me is wondering, can we use that cash for something better? Can we use it to reinvest in the company? Can we use it to build our marketing brand, building the brand? That, to me, as an owner of the company, if I was to invest in it, that's something that I would be questioning. Why is it that you're constantly raising dividends? Is it to really be a good marketing tool? Or is it really you have no idea what else to do with the funding which I highly doubt, but you know, raising a dividend generally is a marketing tool for me. Uh, it's not something that's in the best interest of the long-term perspective of the company. So, but yeah, those are the last final things I would like to say. <laughs> There's a lot. I, I look at a lot. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I guess my, as I sort of, you know, try to get, a sense of whether I would want to look into this company invested in it. There's sort of three things that stand out. Mm-hmm. Number one is the extremely low insider share of stock ownership. Yes. Number two is the fact that it has two major competitors and it seems to be of the three companies. It seems to be in last place. Yes. And number three is that the leadership is not, uh, really impressing me i mean they don't seem like bad leadership but but they're not outstanding where you you can see them out out of the crowd yeah right yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of my uh those are the biggest takeaways of target but a lot of interesting uh a lot of interesting details the (laughs) the earnings per share that's a really interesting thing to dig into like Mm -hmm. uh it could also be that they have been effectively cutting costs. They could have, yeah. Right. Yep. Um, uh, but, but then you know, cutting costs—it it depends on how they cut costs. If they're becoming cheaper and taking shortcuts, then that's a that's a huge red flag. Yes. Uh, you don't you don't want to take shortcuts because there's no such thing as shortcuts in, in in especially if your first and foremost um, reason to be competitively advantaged is your integrity and your brand image if you're cutting costs and you're declining your quality that's going to hurt your brand and so if, if that's the first thing that they're marketing is our brand is strong i don't think taking shortcuts is the right approach at least if i was the leader of that company or owner of that company yeah definitely mm-hmm. so, all right well i think we that good? wraps up our uh, discussion <laughs> of targets 
Yeah, no, this was, this was fun. I mean, this is, you know, my thought process of when I'm trying to do research in a company and try to value this company, this is my value investing process. And there's a lot more that goes into it, but this is generally what I can do in about a day's time. Um, and so not everyone's going to be able to do it. Some, some investors and some listeners might be able to do more than what I do. Uh, but this is at, at the pace that I, I generally can do it. So, and I'm hoping that that was uh, really informative and it does shed a lot of light. Uh, and there, there's so much more to this company, but I have to delve a little bit deeper into it. Maybe another, you know, 70, 80 hours just looking into the history of the company. So, but uh, hope, Sean, I hope that this was fun for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And then hopefully we can do more of these. I, I love doing these anal- analyzing these companies and knowing what your thoughts are, because you actually brought up a lot of good things that I didn't even look into, uh, like the IT realm and all that. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> that's it for today's episode. Thank you guys everyone so much for listening if you have any questions about target or any other company please let us know in the uh, comments below and if you have any uh other ideas or other things that you look at also let us know in the comments below but just do understand that this is just strictly for entertainment education purpose only uh and and we have no holdings in target right right sean right yeah, so we, we don't hold any any shares in this. So we're not affiliated with them. We're not getting sponsored by them at all. So this is strictly uh, opinion-based and what we were able to find online uh, with our internet research. So until next time, everyone, don't trade a dollar for a penny and see you guys all in the next episode. Take care.